we can strengthen our homes. And I believe if there's anything that needs to be done in our world today, if there's anything in the Lord's church today that needs to really be accomplished, it's the strengthening of our homes, which is the foundation of our society. I think all of us, if we would just stop and look around us and be very honest, we would recognize that the home as God would have it is greatly under attack from many different venues. All around us today, we, we observe the breakdown of the home. Traditional homes such as father and mother and children now are for the first time in the minority. And I think that number will only shrink as time goes by. You know, almost every day by means of television and other sources, we, we see that influences are brought into our homes that, that would destroy the very foundation upon which our homes should rest. And certainly you think about worldliness, you think about materialism, you think about the rampant immorality that's going on all around us. All these things threaten to destroy the moral fiber that would hold the home together. And I believe that we today in the Lord's church need to be concerned about doing everything we possibly can to, to strengthen our homes and to make our homes more of what God would have them to be. Now, I'm going to make four suggestions toward that goal this morning. I'm going to talk about, first of all, how that we as companions, husbands and wives, need to have proper consideration one toward another. And then I'm going to talk about how we as parents need to show proper consideration toward our children and how children, in turn, in the third place, need to show proper consideration toward their parents. And then lastly, I want to emphasize that there needs to be a united determination that the home is going to remain intact and it's going to be the kind of institution that's pleasing to God. First of all, this morning, may I point out that for our homes to be strengthened, there needs to be a greater consideration for one another as husbands and wives. And I guess far too many times we as husbands and wives take each other for granted. I know I'm very guilty of that. Many times we, we fail to appreciate what one does and what the other does in making our home successful. You know, Paul made it very plain in Ephesians 5 and verse 25, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands here need to realize they have a direct command from God to love their wives even as in the same manner as Christ loved the church. And Jesus loved the church to the extent that he gave himself for her. And husbands, that just simply means that we need to love our wives, not just in words only, but we need to love our wives to the degree that we would literally give ourselves for the well-being of our 
wise. I think about one man who heard this speech at work about how you need to keep on treating your wife like you did when you dated. And so this man took his wife out to dinner that night and dropped her off at her parents' house, you know. But, but we do need to think about how we treat one another. Ephesians 5 and verse 33 says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, the command there is really simple to understand. Husbands need to love their wives in the same way, to the same degree that they love themselves. And wives, in turn, need to have a reverential respect for their own husbands. And so we need to work as husbands and wives to promote a greater spirit of love one toward another. And how we need to understand the point that love is not just mere affection. You know, sometimes we hear husbands or wives say, well, I just don't love my spouse anymore. You know, the worldly definition of love is tied strictly to feeling. It's tied strictly to emotion. You know, it's the Hollywood feeling. Love is a feeling that you feel when you feel that you're feeling a feeling you never felt before. You know, this emotional kind of high. But love, in the biblical sense, always involves action. Love is a determination of the will. It involves the kind of conduct that we have toward each other each and every day of our lives. You know, we observe in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, how love acts, how love behaves itself. And the text says that love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't envy. It vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek her own. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoiceth in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And husbands and wives need to try to manifest that kind of love one toward another. And we need to realize the importance of being more patient. I know I do. Being more long-suffering one toward another. We need to make sure that we don't behave ourselves in an unbecoming manner one toward another. We ought not always be seeking our own selfish desires. And if all of us would be honest, almost all of our problems today are rooted because of our own selfishness, our own self-centeredness, our desire to have things our way and to get what we want rather than what's good for another. We ought to realize that love will bear all things, it will believe all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. It is that which will endure anything. Love will not fail. And we need to make sure that this kind of love is a reality in our own lives. I submit to you today that love ought to be the basis upon which we meet every challenge. 
Love ought to be the basis upon which we try to solve every problem that might arise. Someone has said that love or joy is love singing, that peace is love resting, that long-suffering is love enduring, that gentleness is love's touch, faithfulness is love's habit, and self-control is love holding the reins. So if we're going to strengthen our homes today, husbands and wives need to have more of a genuine concern for the well-being one toward another. And I think closely connected with this, husbands and wives need to resolve that they're going to assume the proper roles that God has set forth in His Word about how the home is to be governed rather than to conform with the standards that the world would have us to follow. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 and verse 23, for the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now that kind of thinking really goes against the grain of how our culture sees things. Today we see that our culture demands that men and women be seen as equals in every aspect of life. And that not only denigrates the leadership of man, it also denigrates the role of being a woman. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And for us to have strong homes today, there's got to be that sense of headship that's assumed by the husband. And folks, it's not so much a position as it is a responsibility. And that role of headship needs to be fulfilled in tenderness, in kindness, in love, and concern. And that being the case, Paul said that wives need to be the kind of individuals that are submissive to the headship of the husband. As we read in Colossians 3 and verse 18, wives Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And the home, I believe, is in great danger when we find a woman who really wants to assume the leadership of the home. Or perhaps we find a man who is so spineless that he allows that kind of thing to take place. No home can survive in that fashion. No home can prosper when a man refuses to assume the God-given leadership that God demands that he have in the home. And I think if the home today is going to be strengthened, there needs to be a greater respect than there has been for these principles that are set forth in God's Word. Also, I submit to you that, you know, husbands and wives need to be more forgiving. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives. Don't be bitter against them. Colossians 3 and verse 19. We all understand that none of us are perfect. We're all human beings. We all have our faults and our shortcomings. We all make mistakes. And we need to be the kind of people that are forbearing one toward another. We need to be forgiving of one another and not go about 
holding grudges and being bitter and, and hateful toward each other as husbands and wives. And I think husbands and wives likewise need to try to cultivate an attitude of togetherness in the home. They need to try to work well as a unit. Husbands and wives need to plan things together. They need to work together. They need to train their children together. And yet, in some situations, you know, the wife may have her own set of friends. She may have her own things to do in regard to recreation. Husbands and wives, in, in many cases, have their own separate money. And, and they just seem to function separately rather than together as a unit. But when a husband and wife are united in marriage, it's like two streams that might be running parallel to one another. And from the point where those two streams merge, they ought to become one. And we need to work hard in our homes today to cultivate an attitude of togetherness. The Bible says, Jesus speaking in Matthew 19, verse 5, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. We need to work together today as husbands and wives to be united together as God would have us to be. Then may I point out regarding husbands and wives that we need to make sure that we're always using good, sound, sensible financial reasoning. Folks, there is a tremendous amount of tension caused in homes today because either a husband or a wife, maybe both of them, wants to enjoy the things of life that they simply cannot afford. Today, the pressure is on. We buy things that we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people that we don't even know. We try to keep up with the Joneses, right? And before you know it, the Joneses have refinanced and they're ahead again, right? And so on and on and on, the battle goes. And it just may very well be that, you know, there's not the possibility of having all these nice things. It just seems in our culture today that a young man and a young woman who get married want to have right now everything that their parents have. And those parents have worked for years and years to get where they are. You know, husbands and wives need to get together and plan and live within their income. Now, one's outgo must never exceed one's income. And if it does, his upkeep will be his downfall. And for husbands and wives to get along, we just can't have that continual pressure to try to buy those things that we think can somehow bring happiness. And I think husbands and wives also need to likewise sit down and determine that they're going to stay together. That regardless of what situation comes up in life, they're going to work things out. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13 and verse 4, marriage is honorable. The bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. 
You see, in our home, we need to make the determination that divorce is not going to be one of the options. We need to determine that we're going to work things out. And with that kind of conviction, we're going to try to do things in the way that things ought to be done because that's the only way real happiness can occur. So first of all today, if we're going to strengthen our homes, husbands and wives need to resolve to be what they ought to be and what God says each one individually needs to be. Secondly, though, for us to strengthen our homes today, may I suggest that we as parents need to show the right kind of consideration toward those precious children that God has blessed us with. You know, Titus 2 and verse 4, the Bible makes it very plain that parents are to genuinely love their children. And when parents love their children, they will gladly fulfill any obligation that may come upon them. We will do anything that we have to do to bear any burden. We will endure any kind of inconvenience because we love our children. We care for our children. And those children will in turn be much more willing to endure any kind of discipline or correction if they feel for sure and for certain that those parents genuinely care about them. And how we as parents need to correct our children. We need to discipline them in the right way. The Bible still says in Proverbs 13, 24, he that spares the rod hateth his son. We're still admonished in Proverbs 19 and verse 18, chasten your son while there is hope. And don't let your soul spare for his crying. Proverbs 22 and verse 5 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. And parents, we need to realize the importance of disciplining our children. Now the word discipline comes from the word disciple. And a disciple is a student, it's a pupil, a learner. One who's been taught. Basically, the idea is that we are in a process continually of trying to teach our children by instructing them, by teaching them what God would have them to be. And sometimes just instruction is not enough. The Bible emphasizes that we must not spare the rod using corrective discipline when it's needed. And we read about the sad situation of Eli and his sons in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 13. The Bible says about Eli that his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. You know, it ought to bother us sometimes when we see parents who just continually allow their children to be disrespectful, to behave in a way that they shouldn't behave without being corrected. And, and parents sometimes simply will not restrain those children. I think about one example here. Some parents may say, well, I don't want little Johnny or little Susie to touch some of the things that are on the table here. So I'm just going to move everything from off the table and they won't be able to touch them instead of maybe teaching them a principle 
while leaving those things there that they shouldn't touch them. Because you see, when you come to my house, I'm not taking my things off the table, you see. My things are going to be there. And so there's consistent instruction that we need to give our children. We need to teach our children sometimes there are things that they can do. There are things that they cannot do. And we can do that with a firm, corrective, loving hand so that those children will be a joy for us and for people around us. And if we as parents are going to be what we ought to be, showing consideration for our children, let me suggest as well, we need to spend a lot of time with those children. I, I wish I could impress upon young parents how quickly time goes by. Seems like, you know, there's just the snap of the finger and those little ones are, are now grown and they're starting their own homes. It goes by just that quickly. And one of the greatest mistakes I'm afraid that we make today as Christian parents is not taking the time to guide and direct and lead the lives of our children. According to a statistic that I read recently, the average American father, I hope this is wrong, but the statistic said he will spend an average of five minutes a week in meaningful time with his children. And we need to make up our minds that we're going to spend time with our children. One boy said the best gift he ever got was when his father promised him a whole day to himself with nobody else around. And folks, if we don't spend time with our children, there's no way that we can influence them in the way that we should. We need to understand the importance of spending time with our children. You know, when you're on your deathbed, I don't think you'll regret not spending more time in the office. You may not regret spending more time, you know, doing things that you desire. But the thing that you possibly will regret is not spending more time with your children. Let me point out that we as parents, perhaps more than anything else, we need to try to live and set, <clears throat> set the kind of example that we would want our children to follow. You know, if you watch a child, a child really imitates, he yearns, he desires to be like those that he loves the most, none other than his own parents. I think about a little boy one time who was, following his dad down the street. And the father said, come on, son, you know, don't get too far behind. And the little boy said, don't worry, dad, I'm just following in your steps. We ought to realize, parents, that our children are striving to follow in our tracks. And that being the case, we need to make sure that we speak the kind of words that we wouldn't mind our children hearing and saying. We need to be involved in the kind of activities that we would want our children to be involved in. We need to be involved in the Lord's work, just like we would want our children one day to be involved in the Lord's work. It's really amazing to me how that uh, parents who are just nominally members of the Lord's church, they may attend sometimes, but not regularly. It's amazing how 
in most cases, those children grow up and they're exactly the same way. You know, we need to strive to live an honest life and tell the truth just like we would want our children to grow up and imitate. And parents need to be here to worship God every time that we have the opportunity just because we want to set the proper example for our children. See, those children know without a doubt exactly what comes first in our lives. I want to share this with you this morning. It really means a lot to me, but I think it illustrates what our attitude toward our children ought to be. Someone said, Oh, Heavenly Father, make me a better parent. Teach me to understand my own children, to listen patiently to what they have to say, to answer all their questions kindly. Keep me, Father, from interrupting them or contradicting them. Make me as courteous to them as I would have them to be to me. Forbid that I should ever laugh at their mistakes or resort to shame and ridicule whenever they displease me. May I never punish them for my own selfish satisfaction or just to show my own power. Father, let me not tempt my child to lie or steal or to be dishonest and guide me hour by hour that I might demonstrate by all that I say and do that honesty produces happiness. Lord, reduce, I pray, the meanness that's in me. And when I'm out of sorts, help me, O oh Lord, to hold my tongue. May I ever be mindful that my children are children and that I should not expect of them the judgment of adults. Let me not rob them of the opportunity to wait on themselves and to make decisions. Bless me with the bigness to grant them all of their reasonable requests and the courage to deny them those things that will do them harm. Make me fair and just and kind, dear Lord, and fit me, O oh Lord, to be loved and respected and imitated by my children. And I just believe today if all of us as parents could pray that kind of prayer sincerely, then we would be able to set the kind of an example that we would want our children to follow. And of course, we need to teach our children today how to assume responsibility. I can't help but think about young David back in the book of 1 Samuel, how this young boy apparently always had responsibility. He kept his father's sheep, and even as a very young man, he kept the lion and the bear away from those sheep. It just seems like that here was a young man that accepted responsibility, and even as a youngster, there came the time when he had to face Goliath. And there's no doubt in my mind that when David went out and faced Goliath, he was able to do so because he had assumed responsibility while he was younger in being submissive and obedient to his father. We ought never to deprive and deny our children the responsibility of realizing that they have things they need to do. We ought never to uh, allow our children to have the mindset that they're entitled. We ought never to allow our children to have the mindset that Somebody else always owes them something, but instead, we need to help our children to grow up and realize that 
They owe something to the world. They owe something to their families. They owe something to the Lord's church. May we realize that children are an heritage of the Lord. But quickly, though, in the third place, if we're going to strengthen our families, there also needs to be the proper consideration of children toward the parents. I think children today need to be taught the idea of the need to obey their parents. And the Bible's very specific about this. Colossians 3 and verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. We're familiar with Ephesians 6 and verse 1, which says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long upon the earth. And children and young people need to be willing to obey their parents and the Lord in everything. That's the first commandment with promise. Children and young people need to realize that this is a serious matter. It always has been for a young person to be disobedient to their parents. You go back to the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 18 and we observe there that a child in the Old Testament who was rebellious, a child who was disobedient to his parents, that child would be stoned to death by all the people. But very interestingly, we come to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 1, and we see all the awful sins that characterize the Gentile world. Verse 28 talks about homosexuality. We read about murderers. We read about those guilty of all kinds of sexual immorality, those that are haters of God, those that are inventors of evil things, those without natural affection. I mean, this is just a, a list of terrible things. But did you realize right there listed among all those things equally are those that are disobedient to parents? God detests that. That's why the Bible says that children are to honor their father and their mother. Children need to always honor their parents. And even older people need to honor and respect their aged parents. And primarily today, though, I'm talking about children and young people. You need to respect, you must honor your parents. And for our homes to be what they ought to be today, there must be that kind of honor and respect toward our parents. But I want to close today quickly by pointing out that not only do companions need to have the right attitude toward one another, not only do parents need to show proper consideration toward children, and children need to show proper consideration toward their parents, let me suggest that there needs to be a determination that we're going to stay together, that we're going to correct anything that might be wrong in our lives, that we are going to stay together and make our homes what God would have to be. If you look at Matthew 19, verse 4, Jesus said, Have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? He said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. 
What God therefore hath joined together, let not man put asunder. God said in Malachi 2 and verse 16, I hate the putting away. And we need to have a resolution of heart, a determination of mind. We need to be united in our efforts and determine there's not going to be anything that would ever tear our families apart. You know, if we could just stop today and understand the terrible results of what occurs once a home breaks apart. How the very world of those children immediately loses all that security. When home, homes break up, delinquency and crime increases. When homes are broken up, oftentimes children of divorced parents are much more likely to be divorced themselves. How we need to understand, if possible, children need both a father and a mother. The tenderness and love of a mother, the guidance and leadership of a father are so necessary. Now today as we leave this building, I want to encourage you to resolve that you're going to have a stronger home than you've had in the past. That as husbands and wives, we're going to try to be what we ought to be toward one another. That we're going to not take for granted our children that God has blessed us with, but realize that they are a heritage from the Lord. And young people, I hope you'll realize the obligation that you have to be submissive and obedient to your parents. But most of all, may we leave here with the determination that our homes are going to stay intact. I want you to come back tonight at 5 o'clock. We're going to talk about the legacy of being a grandparent. And I'm very excited about presenting that lesson. But today, the challenge is for us as families to be what we need to be. We're going to sing a song of encouragement at this time. Maybe you're not a Christian. You know, being the kind of person you ought to be begins with your obedience to the gospel. And today, if you're outside of Christ... You're without hope in this world, but that can change if you're willing to demonstrate your faith in Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins, by confessing His wonderful name, and by being baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you've not been the kind of person today that you ought to be, and maybe there's some changes you need to make, and maybe those changes need to be made known this morning. If you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.